What you doing, Mark? Oh, hey. I am signing up to be a donor for the Offscript podcast. Why? Because I believe in supporting people that are creating great content, and you've been creating a lot of great content lately, and I want to support you. But Springtide already pays my salary. Where do you think the salary comes from? Ooh. Thanks, Mark. No problem. So, yeah, I'm going to offscript.ca slash donate, and start the process. Oh, I can see everybody else who's donated. Uh, Pam's here, Penny, Cody, Mike, Monica, Claudia, Ronald, Paul, another Mike, Savannah, Tim, Lisa. Oh, thanks guys. Yeah, so I'm going to join them. What's next? So I have to pick the amount I want to donate. $3, $5, $8 a month. Actually, most, I was looking earlier, most people that are donating are giving 12 bucks a month. So I'm going to do what they do. And if I continue, it asks me for my address. Thank you, autofill. And do I want to get updates from Springtide? Yes. And continue. What's my credit card information? But, uh, yeah, it's that simple. Easy. Three clicks. So you ready to start the podcast? Let's start the podcast. Okay. You're listening to a special episode of Offscript, and I'm Sandra Hannibalm, your host. Next week, we'll be back with a full episode of the podcast where we explore the experiences of people living with disabilities in seeking and in holding elected office. But for this week's special episode, we're talking about the election, and my co-host, Mark Coffin, is going to explain some election-related things that a lot of people misunderstand. So, Mark, you've been busy sharing a lot of interesting content about the election lately on the Springtide Facebook page. What's it all about? So some of it might seem very basic, but what we try to do uh, with a lot of the content we share through Springtide, including this podcast, is share some uh, what can often seem like very basic stuff, but stuff that a lot of people tend to get wrong when it comes to how we think about and talk about our elections. And it starts with what happens on the day the election is called itself. Yeah, your, your first post was titled, Who Let the Writ Drop? What, what is a writ? Uh, It's any kind of written command that comes from a place of authority, like a judge, a court, or in this case, the lieutenant governor. Um, So on the day the election is called, the writ commands an election be held. And we say writ drop, but there are actually 51 writs dropped uh, a little over a week ago now. One for the election in each of the 51 electoral districts across the province, because we don't actually have an election. We have several elections. The only office we elect people to is MLA. So, So what does it mean to drop a writ? Like, is that like a mic drop? (laughs) So drop actually means the opposite of what most of us probably think. It has nothing to do with letting something fall. Uh, Although when we hear it in the media or written about on social media, many people use the term as if we were kind of letting something fall, letting something drop. But but when you look back to sort of where the term came from, uh, that doesn't make grammatical sense anymore. Uh, So drop is understood to be a bit of a shorthand for draw up, like drawing up a contract in the same way that... Uh, the word Santa Claus is sort of evolved from the name St. Nicholas. If you say it fast, it starts to sound like Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus. Um, So draw up has morphed into drop in kind of the same way. So then the real question is, who let the writs be drawn up? Right. So ultimately, the final decision of whether the writs would be drawn up or not rests with Nova Scotia's Lieutenant Governor, Honorable John James Grant, 
or to shorten things up a bit, just the LG. So he's the Queen's representative in Nova Scotia, and he was appointed to his position by the Governor General, who's the Queen's representative in Canada, on the advice of the Prime Minister, and the Prime Minister five years ago when he was appointed was Stephen Harper. So the Premier asks the LG to dissolve the legislature uh, and draw up the writs. The LG could technically say no, but there are not many examples of this happening in Westminster political systems like our own. So in any case, the LG accepted the Premier's request to dissolve the legislature and draw up the writs, and did so for the 51 elections that are going to be held on May 30th. Okay, so you mentioned something about the legislature being dissolved when the writs are dropped or drawn up. What does that mean? So it means we actually have no MLAs right now. So you talk about that in your next post, but that doesn't mean that we don't still have a government, right? That's right. So during an election, some politicians have power while others don't. So if you were just an MLA for the last four years, uh, you no longer had claim to that title once the election was called on April 30th. So you might have heard some returning candidates identify themselves as the current MLA or the sitting MLA. Not actually true. So until the election is held and new MLAs are sworn into office, Nova Scotia has no MLAs. If something major were to happen, a natural disaster or a critical labor dispute or some kind of contagious disease outbreak or zombie apocalypse, the people who were the MLAs just a week ago would have no more power to do anything about that than you or I would. Um, And some of them actually have gotten into trouble for this already because Uh, you're actually not allowed to identify yourself as the MLA during an election campaign according to the rules set out in the Elections Act, which can be tricky because a lot of MLAs have spent money on advertising as the MLA that doesn't just disappear. So one example people might be familiar with um, in uh, walkable communities is these little signs that people put on their lawns or at intersections that say, drive slow, we love our children, and then they have the MLA's name and sometimes the city councilor's name on the bottom of the sign. Technically, that's considered advertising, which MLAs are allowed to do while they're MLAs uh, to help people uh, know what they're up to, but they're not allowed to do it as candidates. So some MLAs have been patiently asking their constituents to take these signs down during the election because they might get a penalty for it. Okay, so who's in charge of the Nova Scotia government right now? So none of the cabinet ministers from Stephen McNeil's government are MLAs. But all of them remain members of the Executive Council of Government and retain any of the power they had as ministers of the Crown. So there's a convention in uh, political systems like our own, the Westminster system, called the Caretaker Convention. Uh, This notion that, yeah, the government stays on uh, to do what needs to be done, and generally it's sort of routine business, but any kind of controversial decisions are not made during an election, and if they have to be made because of some kind of urgency, there's uh, the understanding that consultation and agreement between all parties uh, would be taken before uh, any big decisions would be made. So in Nova Scotia, there's probably uh, very little that would qualify for this. But at the federal level, you know, if there were the, some grand international conflict or something like that um, that couldn't wait for an election to, to be completed, that sort of thing might happen. Um, but there's Technically, again, nothing stopping them from making the kinds of decisions that wouldn't have required legislative approval uh, anyways this time or wouldn't have to go through the legislature in terms of a change to a law. So how about voting? Can people vote right now? Yeah, so people can vote right now, and it's a whenever, wherever kind of thing. All 51 returning offices are now open for business as of last Wednesday. 
Um, and that means you can vote if you show up at one, and it doesn't even have to be the returning office in your district. So uh, I'll be in Cape Breton this weekend, uh, and if I want, I can walk into the returning office in the riding of Sydney Whitney Pier, which is where I grew up, and I can cast my ballot for the candidate of my choice in the riding of Halifax Needham, where I'm actually registered to vote in. Is this the first time that's been possible? No, it happened in 2013 as well, and it was possible in the 2015 federal election also. So it's called a continuous poll, and in the last election, a quarter of Nova Scotians voted in one of the continuous polls. Uh, So it certainly makes elections more convenient for voters, but the really interesting aspect of a continuous poll is how it changes or could change uh, campaigns for politicians and campaign workers. How can it change campaigns? So it adds a new opportunity for political strategy that wasn't there before. So anybody that's worked on a political campaign will tell you, and some of the MLAs told us about this, um, that there is more to winning an election than just having the most popular candidate. Voter turnout has hovered just below the 60% mark in Nova Scotia elections, but it would be much lower than that if it weren't for the strategy that all winning campaigns use to turn popular candidates into winning candidates. There are two parts to it. So the first part is figure out who's going to vote for you. So they do this by kind of phoning you and asking you if you're going to vote for their candidate or knocking on your door. And then the second piece is getting your supporters out to vote. Uh, The acronym GOTV or GOTV is uh, what's used around campaigns. Without a solid strategy for identifying supporters and pulling them out to vote, a slightly less popular candidate with a robust get-at-the-vote strategy could win. Um, And this involves everything from calling to remind your supporters to vote, taking their kids Uh, taking care of their kids while they go and vote, driving them to the polls, and having an observer at the polls to confirm that they've voted. So that's kind of just background for folks that don't necessarily have direct experience working on political campaigns. So if you're a part of a political campaign back in the 2009 election, you only would have had two chances to pull your voters out to vote. Um, That would be on the advanced polling days, which I think there are like two or four of uh, before the actual election day, and then election day itself. So you had the whole campaign to kind of identify who was voting for you, uh, but you only had a few days to actually pull those people out to vote. Now that pulling the vote has already begun, um, or it should have already begun if your candidate wants to lock you in as a supporter, um, the impact on the campaign is, as I see it, kind of twofold. First, A campaign is no longer uh, having to worry about building a massive army of volunteers that can get out the vote just for the handful of days at the end of the campaign people can vote on. Um, And second, it means that a campaign can actually get supporters out to vote while they're still supporters, which I think is really fascinating. And so looking at the last federal election as an example, the NDP began the campaign polling ahead of the Liberals and Conservatives. And then for a short while during the campaign, all three parties were neck and neck. Of course, the Liberals ended up winning and they won big, but if, say, the NDP had taken advantage of the continuous polling opportunities uh, early in the campaign and employed a massive get-at-the-vote effort in those early days, we'd have a very different-looking parliament right now. Because, of course, the NDP ended up losing quite a bit of support during that campaign. Unlike opinion polls, which are done weekly and sometimes every few days during an election, Uh, votes that are in the ballot box are locked in and you can't change them. So if a leader or local candidate does something that causes a drop in that popularity or makes you rethink your support for them, there's no taking your vote back. All this leads to one very important question, though, Sandra. When are you going to cast your ballot? (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) You're working on it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, uh, I 
not sure who I'm going to vote for, actually. I think I'd probably have a pretty good idea of who I'm voting for already, um, or at least who I'm not voting for. Um, but personally, I, there's just something magical about going to vote on election day. So I'm going to cast my vote on election day and, uh, and not take advantage of any of these advanced voting opportunities. But I encourage other people to do it when it's right for them. All right. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Offscript podcast. Next week, we're back with a standard full episode of the podcast where we'll explore the experience of Nova Scotians living with physical disabilities in their efforts to get elected as MLAs. As a heads up, we're going to be sharing the stories of people other than former MLAs. In all of our interviews, there was just one former MLA who spoke about serving in the legislature with a physical disability. So in addition to that MLA story, we'll also talk to some candidates who were not successful and two members of the Legislative Assembly that was just dissolved to hear about their experience. Here's one of the people we'll be speaking to in next week's podcast. Okay, just talk normally. I was a DJ for 20 years, so I'm a little tuned in with this stuff. If you think you know who it might be, tweet your answer to us at Springtide Co. on Twitter.